This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Hi, nice to have you along here on this sunny Monday. It's turning into a little bit of a mixed kind of bag day for the weather, but certainly a lot cooler with a lot more relief than we've had over the last week and a half. So Libby is on her summer vacation, enjoying some time off after leading by example through the COVID-19 crisis. I almost had to convince her to take some time off for herself, so she finally agreed. So getting some much-needed rest. The Zoomer Squad is here, as they are every Monday at this time, to talk about issues important to older Canadians. Marissa Lennox is Chief Policy Officer at CARP. David Kravitz is Vice President at Zoomer Media. And Peter Mugridge is Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Hello, squad. Hi there. Hi, Jane. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. I'd I'd like to get your reactions first to what we're going to be hearing from Premier Ford this afternoon on Stage 3 reopening. In your opinions, are we ready for this move? Marissa, we'll start with you. I think so. So um, if you look at the numbers, 29 of 34 public health units reported five or fewer cases today. And uh, you'll likely also hear that 21 of those 29 reported no new cases. So it's it's quite clear we're trending in the right direction um, insofar as there has been a continued decline in new cases. Um, of course, you don't want to undo that trend, but I think we've been fairly cautious and, you know, certainly compared to parts of the U.S., um, I, you know, we've we've been cautious in moving forward. And so I think they're at a point where they feel it's okay to move forward into stage three. Now, I do understand this includes allowing workplaces to, for the, the remainder of workplaces to reopen, and there will be sort of a further relaxing on public gatherings. So right now the restrictions up to 10 people if it's indoors. It's not clear what the new limit will be, but I can tell you that I I know a couple brides that are anxious about getting (laughs) married in the fall and are looking forward to this announcement, hoping that they might be able to have more people at an indoor wedding. Um, But if you did have any hope of attending a concert this summer, um, I would think again, because it sounds like large gatherings will remain restricted. Well, right, Marissa, that could be, I mean, that could even be a year before we have a normal gathering for major league sports or concerts. at places like the Air Canada Centre, the Scotiabank Arena now, sorry, it's called, or the Rogers Centre, places like that. David, what are your thoughts? I think it's definitely time to uh, move to stage three. I agree with what uh, Marissa faced. I guess I agree with what Marissa said. Um, I think we're going to have to um, keep an eye on it. I think the approach they've taken is we move forward, but we watch it and we're ready to move back to the previous stage. But I also think it's important to know that we really, there isn't really, uh, we're kind of caught between two plans here. I, I'm a little worried about, are we trying to stop uh, all further infections, or are we really just making sure that our hospitals aren't overwhelmed, which was way back when, the original strategy. And mm-hmm. since that time, there's been all kinds of anxiety about 
new cases, new infections, not new infections, but in fact, the the uh, fatality rate is significantly down. So I think if we stick to the original plan, uh, we've reached uh, that benchmark now. Uh, David, you, you bring up a great point there about hospitals. In fact, uh, we were trying to get a hold of Anthony Dale, the CEO of the Ontario Hospital Association, for the second half of the show, because he has tweeted that he has some hesitations at the prospect of entering the third phase and writes, we can't have hallway health care in a pandemic. So this would appear to be a very real issue, just to piggyback on what you were saying there, David, uh, about health care and crowding the hospitals. Well, is it, Hollywood, is it, is it, is it hallway health care because of all of the delayed procedures that are suddenly going to come in, or is it COVID? And uh, I, I suspect it's well, first one more. And it could be a combination of both, right? And and he's right. You can't have hallway health care in a pandemic. Imagine sitting in a waiting room for 24 hours with COVID-positive patients or sitting on a hospital stretcher with people moving in and out of different rooms, um, even isolation rooms. I mean, they'd be passing through hallways and the risks associated with that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have no doubt they'll be scrutinizing this announcement very closely because they're they're on the front lines. They're the ones that are that are right there that are that are dealing with this. And and we didn't get Anthony Dale with us today, but uh, I'm certain that we will have him at some point this week. And for the rest of today's show, actually, Peter, I'll get to you in a sec. Stage three is the theme for the hour. We will be speaking in the second half of the show with Tony Elenis, president and CEO of the Restaurant, Hotel and Motel Association, along with epidemiologist Dr. Ray Dionandon. So please feel free to join our conversation either with the Zoomer squad or with our other experts later in the hour. With your enthusiasm for Stage 3 or your concerns about going there too quickly, the lines are open, 416-360-0740 or toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Peter, sorry to take so long. What are your thoughts about Stage 3? Well, you know, I I, I would have been a lot more optimistic about it if... um what's happening in the states had been different and you you just look there and you see all these um states that are reporting a record number of cases and and they all reopened uh rather quickly and so so that's sort of tempering my enthusiasm about the reopening but like david i mean it has to happen because um you know these small businesses which have been closed down are in big trouble and the you know they they account for million eight million jobs I think they account for before the pandemic, and if if we don't get that um, economic you know uh, that machine rolling again soon uh, on all cylinders, um, you know there is going to be no economic recovery. And yet, you know, a lot of people would argue that it is on the backs and putting the lowest paid workers at risk, of which there are many Zoomers out there working in retail jobs who were back in stores in some cases during stage one at the end of May. Uh, we are in in many cases putting those people at risk. And uh, so it's that fine, that balance, right, of reopening the economy responsibly and yet taking care of your people as well. Yeah, and, well, and it's, a, it's a very difficult balance. And obviously they didn't, it didn't, they didn't manage it well in the states and, and they've had the, um, you know, the, the repeated outbreaks. But, uh, you know, it, we we talk about balance, and, and at, at some point we're going to have to give balance to the economy and to the small business. And, and 
I understand the workers are, are you know, they're right out there in the front lines and exposed and everything, but, um, you know, there's going to be nothing to go back to unless we get it started soon, uh, as soon as possible. I also want to point out that one of the things I've been struggling with every week is that the the numbers are, and the, and the inconsistency with what the numbers are and how they're reported and what they mean and how they play into the original strategy continues. In the United States, it's a, Peter's right, it's a hot mess, but they have not seen a surge in the fatality rate, number one. Number two, the Centers for Disease Control came out and said they think maybe 60% infection rate, like way higher than reported, and the bulk of it asymptomatic. Is mm-hmm. that even true? Does it matter? Is okay. there, I mean, it's all over the map. And so I think we've got to go and be prudent and say just because you're reopening doesn't mean you have to necessarily subject yourself to to, to all that risk. And, and uh, I think it's time that we, uh, I think, Ford's doing anything. Marissa? Well, but hang on, because hospitals in Texas and Florida have seen a massive surge. Hallway healthcare is more rampant than ever. There was a uh, an interview with a Texas doctor that said, I have five young patients in need of ICU and who will die if they don't get it, and I only have three available beds. So, you know, our greatest fears coming to coming true is they're not being enough beds, they're not being enough ventilators mm-hmm. for people who actually need it. So you want to mitigate that as much as possible. The thing about the United States, though, is many of those states did not take incremental reopenings. They kind of just blanket opened the world. Bars were packed. Beaches were packed. Whereas Ontario has been, you know, this very phased approach, and even phase three, I have no doubt that it'll, it won't be a, you know, a complete lift of all restrictions, but rather it'll be a way in which people can get back to the office, but safely. And there will still need to be, you know, physical distancing uh, restrictions. People will still have to wear masks indoors, these sorts of things. And I think that that's the right approach. Marissa, that comment you just brought up about doctors in the United States having to make a decision between patients as to who gets the ventilator. You remember at the beginning of the pandemic here in Canada, Dr. Sandy Buckman saying, making his controversial comments, which he apologized for here on Fight Back, about deciding between uh, a young parent in their 30s versus an older person at 65. He's going to give the ventilator to the younger person with uh, the young children. But Fortunately, that hasn't come to pass, or at least not that we've heard publicly, where they've had to choose one patient over another for a ventilator. It has not yet. Um, And I guess that's the concern as as we head into this so-called second wave and how do you mitigate that. Um, But there have been some um, protocols that have been drafted, and these are things that, you know, guidelines for hospitals and and it's quite clear that they've introduced life years as as a as a potential um it's something that doctors ought to consider when making these very difficult decisions. God forbid we ever reach the point where we're in a search environment. And so, you know, that's something that CARP has certainly been advocating against and something we're very concerned about. And we'll be talking more about CARP and why now is the time to become a CARP member before we say so long to our Zoomer squad uh, for another Monday. I'm curious about the three of you and how much have you participated in Stage 2 reopening? like the patios, hair salons, barber shops, etc. David, do you mind uh, telling us yes. whether you've been doing that? 
Well, all along I've been able to walk down the street to my uh, neighborhood market. Uh, mostly we have our groceries delivered, but I go in like for fresh bread and stuff. And they had they had all the way along a restriction on how many people could be in the store. At one time, they had tape on the floor for you know social distancing, six feet away. Uh, at the cash register and so on. So I, I, that to me was normal. I have had one haircut finally. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, and uh, we've had some visitors, uh, uh, you know, on our on our front porch, again, observing social distancing. So I would say we've done our best to be both careful and yet, uh, uh, you know, trying to get certain components of our life back to normal if we could. Peter, what about you? Well, like David, I, I got a haircut, too. Um, my, my hair hadn't been so long since I was 14, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but um, So that was a bit of a relief. Um, but, and, and like David, too, we had a, um, we had a family gathering. But, uh, you know, we social distanced, and, and people had masks. This was before the mask rule came into effect. And, and, and people, had, some had masks on. But the whole topic of conversation was the pandemic, and there were arguments over masks, and there were arguments over, you know, when when phase three should open. So, so it's very much dominating our minds, you know, mm-hmm. like, it, we're, we're nowhere near normal. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's you know, I, I'm less willing to go out shopping. I know a lot of people won't go at all, you know, like, so they, it, it's it's just created this sort of fear factor that, uh you know, even even if they're going to announce uh, stage three openings, people still have this anxiety embedded in them from from months and months of negative reporting. Do you think that the the mask factor is lessening that anxiety because we are now mandated to wear them inside? I, I suppose that's what it's for. You know, like like whether whether or not it has. Um, you know, it has outcomes that are based on science or not is 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 a question. But um, certainly, masks are, are a, a way to calm calm people down in, in public settings. And, and I think you're right, Jane. That that that's a big thrust behind the mask movement. Well, but the mask it has been the messaging has been very confusing from the very beginning. First, they didn't work. Then they worked. Then they only protected the individual you were speaking to or that you were close to. And then it protected you, and then so it's it's really unclear who the mask is protecting at this point. But I think people do, to you know, to Peter's point, feel comfortable wearing it. And Marissa, what about you? And and partaking in the stage two reopening, have you been to the patios and the hair salons, et cetera? I haven't been to the hair salon, <laughs> but um, that isn't because I haven't wanted to. It's because I have a toddler at home and I'm working full time. Right, you don't have time. time. Yeah, <laughs> um, I was actually on a patio last night for the first time. And it was weird, I have to say, because um, if I wanted to use the washroom indoors, you had to put your mask on, right. which is fine. Um, and then, of course, they don't have menus, and so all the menus were on your phone, so you had to download it on your phone, which is where we were. Um, so that was a little bit strange, but it was nice. It was nice to be together with family and on a patio, and it was such a nice night. But I will say, at one point, it did look like it was going to rain, yes. and I wondered, well, what would they do? Would they bring <laughs> us some sort? I'd know they wouldn't. They would give you a to-go box, and they'd send you on your way. So, right. Well, it was funny. We arrived with a couple friends of ours uh, to a patio on Friday night. And that was there was stormy weather kind of in the northwest part of the city. And they gave us a little weather report when we sat down. They said, you know, the radar shows that the, the rain is going to be moving in in about an hour. Do you still want to sit down? So, I mean, they were giving us a full service there. And, and, I, and I have to say that I'm quite impressed with how all the patios are set up. We've been to a few of them. 
them. And I would say, for the most part, tables are two meters apart. All of the servers are wearing their matching masks, and you're not given very much on the table. No salt, pepper, chili flakes, nothing like that to make sure that we're not touching all of the same stuff. So, I mean, you can never be 100% sure that everything is sanitized, but I'm impressed so far. So um, we'll see with the stage three, because it looks like indoor dining might be part of that as well. So Oh, yeah, that that would be interesting. No, I do think restaurants are taking it very seriously um, while their business is on the line, too. I can say my husband was part of stage one reopening because he owns a men's retail store, and it's been a real challenge. Um, People have been coming in and, for the most part, wearing their masks, but he hasn't been able to get his staff back to work because they have young kids at home, and daycares haven't really been operating, or maybe families have felt uncomfortable sending their kids back to daycare Mm -hmm. or to camps. Um, So that's been a bit of a challenge for him. Now, what about stage three in relation to visits at long-term care and retirement homes? And this has been a topic of discussion we've had with you folks for the last few weeks. Do we see any indications restrictions could be lifted somewhat? I guess that's to you, Marissa. You know, not that I've read and not that I've heard, but I guess we'll have to wait to see. And the announcement should be made in about 40 minutes time. Um, I do think that they're exercising an abundance of caution, particularly um, around, you know, older adults in congregate settings, just because of how hard COVID has hit these long-term care homes. And part of the reason Ontario hasn't been able to hasn't been able to reopen uh, as fast as some of the other provinces, Alberta, Saskatchewan, BC, is because we couldn't get deaths under control in long-term care. And so I think with that in mind, they're, they're being extremely cautious. Having said that, um, there has been an enormous amount of criticism levied at the government because of how restrictive these these measures are for family caregivers and who feel like family caregivers should be able to spend more than 30 minutes with a loved one, should be able to, at the very least, give them a hug and a kiss after having not seen them for, 30, for you know, three months. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the government does come out with. You're listening to Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Jane for Libby, along with our Zoomer squad, Marissa Lennox, David Kravitz, and Peter Mugrich. Uh, and in, in addition to stage three, we are talking about long-term care and those visits. So it's, I guess my question for you today is two-pronged. What do you think about stage three reopening? Are we ready? Should we hang out in stage two for a while longer? And if you have a loved one in long-term care and you've been able to have a visit or two, how has that experience been for you and for the long-term care or retirement resident? Has it been satisfying, frustrating, um, a combination of both? Our, our lines are open. We do want you to take part in the conversation as well. Our Zoomer radio listeners' opinions are very important to us and really give us uh, a reflection of what's happening out there and how people are feeling. 416 740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Okay, squad, we'll uh, switch topics here. Uh, Libby 
had a special guest call into Free For All Friday, Don Ferguson of the Air Force, who's part of a campaign to give back the one-time COVID-19 top-up if you don't need it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, if you don't need the money, which he says is the case for him and many of his friends, then why not donate it to charity so that their critical work will benefit? Uh, The website is seniorsgivingback.org, and there is a list of charities related to the campaign. David, what do you think about that effort? Well, I think it's a great idea. Obviously, if you can uh, afford to forego the, the funds, I would point out, too, that um, the the numbers are very, very clear that the older you get, the more you give in charity. You would think that's counterintuitive, you know, people on fixed incomes, but the 65-plus population uh, index is significantly higher than any other age group in giving money to charity. So it's a, it's a well-developed uh, instinct already uh, in this age group. And Peter, what do you think about that? Well, you know, I, I wouldn't just uh, limit it to charity. I mean, obviously there are many worthy charities out there, and they've all been smacked by uh, COVID. But um, I, I would... Uh, I would also spend it locally. Go go to a local shop, spend some money, go to a local restaurant. Um, you know, we got we have to keep Main Street open. These businesses are in big trouble, and uh, they need to pay their rent. They need to pay their workers. And um, you know, five hundred dollars is uh, would be a nice little uh, you know means of, of getting them through. You know, so so don't just limit it to charity. Look look towards shopping locally and and uh, helping Main Street stay alive. Verna from Oakville would like to get in on the conversation. Verna, you're with the Zoomer Squad. And Jane, go ahead. Thank you very much, Jane. Um, I just want to, you were asking about visits. Well, I have had uh, three visits. I visited on the first day of opening when the Toronto Star were there to record yes. it. So that was exciting. We all know you well. Every, uh, people yeah, who are regular listeners to Fight Back, we know you. Thank you for calling back. Oh, I just wanted to say about my visits, I mean... I go. I jump through hoops to get to these visits, you know, and and get the testing. And the doctor always tells me at the hospital, you know, this test is only valid for this moment that I'm doing it for you, you know. So it makes you wonder about the rules, the 14-day rules, how safe that is, you know. Yes. I'd be willing to test every day, as I've said before. But anyway, that's just the byline. Um, So my visit, the first visit was exciting. It was frustrating because it was just a visit and I'm just dying to get back in. Um, You know, as a designated care partner, that seems to be the new thing that they're fighting for, which would be absolutely amazing for everybody. Um, So the first couple of visits were very stressed because my husband is mobile and, you know, short of restraining him, they can't get him to stop touching me you know Mm -hmm. he wants to hold my hand and on Sunday yesterday's visit he's progressed to putting his arm around my shoulder when we walk around you know (laughs) I think he's improving actually oh that's wonderful you know I know I'm in denial but um I do feel he's improving and I've just had a call to say that I can go in and cut his hair Ah. on Wednesday okay yes in complete PPE and I grab at anything i mean i would i would do anything so i'm being allowed wednesday they're going to wipe sanitize all my hair cutting equipment and set me up behind a tree somewhere (laughs) and and so i'm full of joy today but i'm still frustrated that we can't go in as respected caregivers the same as the paid caregivers because we do the same if not more with emotional support and love and and everything else 
Marissa, this is uh, this is good news from Verna. We've been following her story the last couple of weeks. And Ver- Verna, you've been calling in every Monday, and so I've been listening with with great interest to, yeah. to what you've been sharing with our audience. And I'm glad to hear that you are that you're having a good day. I'm having a good day. They're not all good, you know. Yeah. I, you know, I get calls that they've, he's been found sleeping on the floor. Um, you know, I don't yeah. know if that's a bad thing or not. He used to sleep on the floor at home sometimes, so I don't know. Um, so, so, yes, I'm really trying to get into an advocacy group that's fighting hard to get the family caregivers back in. All right. Well, you've come to, Verna, this is the the exact right moment for you to keep listening. I'm going to let you go, and thank you very much for calling us back. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Verna. Yes, for the past 18 weeks, uh, we here at MZ Media, Zoomer Media Limited, and CARP have been receiving weekly messages of information, encouragement, shared experiences, started by our founder, Moses Neimer, and more recently, from other leaders within the organization. And this past Friday, pandemic message number 18 was from Marissa Lennox and David Kravitz. So I thought this would be an appropriate time to talk about CARP's evolution through the pandemic and why becoming a member now is more important than ever. Marissa, you said in your message to staff two weeks before the pandemic, you'd launched the Fix Healthcare Now campaign. Explain for our Zoomer radio audience what happened next. Well, we launched this campaign, and two weeks later, COVID hit. Um, and so, to a large extent, we had to pivot the campaign to focus really on the devastating impact COVID was having in congregate settings, in long-term care homes, and in retirement homes. Um, and so, that's what we did, and we focused all of our efforts on trying to support our members with information, as well as to work with the government um, to make sure that, you know, they could do everything humanly possible to try to save lives. And um, so in that time, you know, we've launched some campaigns. We've, we've, we've developed our advocacy strategy. I've presented to several federal uh, standing committees on that. And um, certainly family caregivers and the important work that they do have been highlighted in every single one of our reports and presentations. And David, you say in in the message that the news cycle will at some point forget about long-term care, and that's where CARP comes in. Well, I think think what really makes it important now is what the COVID revealed about the underlying state of long-term care in Canada. And we've seen a number of reports, most recently the Royal Society uh, report, that talks about ageism as an attitude among the policymakers in this country. And so I would urge the audience that it, it CARP's, joining CARP is always desirable, certainly, because CARP is advocating for policies uh, to the benefit of seniors. But now I think it's become urgent because we can't let this slide. And the reason we can't let this slide is the good news of aging, of everything that Zoomer stands for. But the flip side is we're going we're gonna to need double the capacity in the next 10 years. We're going to have um, a huge growth in the 75-plus population, the 80-plus population, the 85-plus population. Who is going to be that voice? constantly prodding the decision makers to pay more attention to this, uh, which they've neglected up until now. So if you are of that age, if you have parents of that age, CARP is now no longer to me just a, a good thing, you know, yeah, go, go get them, tiger, it's great. I think CARP is an essential 
thing because we are not letting go of this topic and partnered as we are with Zuma Media, we have the means to get that word out. We have the channels to reach those politicians and policymakers. What we need are more members, and the bigger the group we represent, the more clout we have. So I would say that COVID has shown that CARP's mission is not just desirable, but actually essential. And the the website traffic has skyrocketed uh, because people are interested in long-term care. They're interested in their own futures as well. We're on the computer a whole lot more. Uh, We have been as a result of of the lockdown. And and David, as, as a CARP member, and I just renewed my membership fairly recently, when you say you can save hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a year, that's not just a line. No, the CARP, CARP members get a whole range of members-only discounts and, and uh, special value-added offers. We have a new rewards program with an interesting credit card, a unique credit card that gives you uh, reward points at a much greater rate than any other card. We have constantly uh, a big menu of savings. And now, of course, with COVID, with people, you know, there's a premium on making your dollars go further. No matter what shape you're in financially, everybody's looking to save. And so that's another benefit of the membership. So I think that the circumstances are making CARP membership, um, uh, which was always a good thing, has now become uh, an important thing and even an essential thing. And if you are interested, at least... Carp.ca. Carp.ca. Go take a look at it. Carp.ca. Just inform yourself. Uh, The membership is inexpensive. There's also a Zoomer magazine uh, subscription that you get with your Carp membership. It's quite a good deal for all the money you get back and all you're doing for the future for the older population. And speaking of skyrocketing website numbers, uh, Peter Mugridge, everythingzoomer.com. That has been a much-loved website during the pandemic? Um, you know, it's been a, a perfect storm, really. Like, with, with CARPs uh, amplifying their voice over over the, the nursing home problems. Um, and we've been covering that, and, and the reaction from our readers has been super. And, and they've all, I mean, we've doubled and tripled our, our uh, you know, page views. And, and, and a lot of that is relatable to CARP really seizing the, the issue and running with it. All right. It's a great combination, all that we do here at Zoomer Media and MZ Media and CARP. Um, Squad, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to chatting with you a week from today. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Jane. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.